0: If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 4. A little bit ambitious today in that the next several chapters of Ecclesiastes address a similar topic. And so I'm going to try to preach the end of chapter four, chapter five, and chapter six—all in one sermon today. And uh, the good news is, is we're not still in the first service, so we made it, <laughs> and so we'll make it in this service as well. What I want to talk to you about today is that wealth is meaningless without Jesus. Wealth is meaningless without Jesus. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, and reading through the end of the chapter. I saw that all labor and all skillful work is due to one person's jealousy of another. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. The fool folds his arms and consumes his own flesh. Better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and a pursuit of the wind. Again, I saw futility under the sun. There is a person without a companion. Without even a son or brother. And though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. Who am I struggling for, he asks, and depriving myself of good things? This too is futile and a miserable task. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, If two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. For he came from prison to be king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, follow a second youth who succeeds him. But there is, no, there is no limit to all the people who are born before them. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this truth. And we thank you that this, these passages here in Ecclesiastes are in Scripture that they represent a struggle of a, of a saint of old who wrestled with these tensions in life, trying to find meaning in things of this world. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn the message of this passage and help us to learn the message of Ecclesiastes, and, Lord, to apply it to our lives and help us to realize that everything is meaningless without Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us from your word today. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Madam Blueberry <laughs> is a very sad lady because she is ungrateful for everything that she owns. Every day, her, her two butlers, Bob the tomato, and Larry the Cucumber of VeggieTales fame come to her house and they try to help her around the house and One day she is crying, she is distressed, she is distraught over all of the things that she does not own. Oh, if I just had more stuff, if I just had more things, then my life would be so happy, then my life would be so fulfilled. I know I've got this great treehouse, I know I've got all this stuff, but look at all the things I don't have that everybody else has, and if I just had that, then I would be happy. Bob and Larry look out their window and they see that there is a new store being built next door. <laughs> a couple of salesmen named the scallions come by <laughs> and they represent a new store being this store being built down the street and it is called Stuff Mart. <laughs> oh my goodness, Stuff They come in and they talk to Madame Blueberry. Madame Blueberry, we have everything you could desire. (laughs) It is all of your dreams are found at Stuff Mart. Come over and spend your heart's desire. And Madame Blueberry falls for it. I will be very happy if I have all of the stuff that is at Stuff Mart. And she goes to Stuff Mart because there they have all of her dreams fulfilled in a single location. All of her dreams right there. And as she is going to Stuff Mart to spend all of her money at this new store, she noticed there's this poor little girl who is just sitting there wearing a black cap and a peach blouse and celebrating her birthday with the one piece of pie that her family could afford to split among themselves for her birthday. And as they are eating this pie, she could see something on their faces that she did not have in her heart. There is joy, there is gladness, there is contentment in the simple, satisfaction in the simple. And they begin to sing a song celebrating the simple life, celebrating contentment in what they have. But that doesn't last very long. They eventually get to this gigantic store stuff mark. And she begins to, Madame Blueberry, begins to buy a lot of useless products and gets the free shipping to her house <laughs> and then going home she sees a little boy and, or actually he, he is in the in the food court of the mall and and she sees him and He says, I really wish I could have that train. And dad says, no, all we can afford is the ball. Okay, dad, I love the ball. I'm so excited to have this ball. And they begin to sing the same song about contentment in their souls and gladness about what God has provided for them. Satisfaction in the simple. Madame Blueberry and Bob and Larry get back to their houses, or her house, her tree house. And they notice that all of this stuff is being packed into her treehouse stuff after stuff package after package so much so that the house the treehouse begins to bend the tree under the weight of the house that is now full of all of this stuff that promises to bring satisfaction to her life those of you who have studied physics know something of something called elastic potential energy. (laughs) It's the same energy that you get when you pull back a bow. In fact, the exact same energy was being added to her house as the tree bent under the stress or as her house bent under the weight and the stress of the stuff that they filled her house. They said, no, no, stop, stop, stop. And her house was so full, the back door began to open and all of the stuff began to fall in the lake, splashing into the water behind her house. And then as all of the stuff began to splash in the water, too much weight was let go at once. And you can imagine what happened. Boom! <laughs> the tree Springs back and her house flies off into the distance. It was all gone in a moment. And then, sitting alone with Bob and Larry, she begins to sing the song, same song. Sung by the poor little girl and her dad at the picnic table. The last thing you see on the screen of that particular episode of Veggie Tales is this verse right here, Proverbs 15 27, and it says, Greed brings grief to the whole family. Greed brings grief to the whole family. True of a lesson that we teach our children when we watched madame blueberry (laughs) and true for us too and solomon the wealthiest king that ever has been this preacher who has been preaching to us and teaching us that there is the world everything is meaningless without jesus here in these next couple of chapters begins to address the issue that wealth is meaningless without jesus You can gain the whole world and yet lose your soul. The wealthiest king who went on this search for meaning in life is speaking to us and he's saying, don't listen to the commercials. Don't listen to that. You cannot find meaning in stuff. You can have an infinite bank account but be empty inside. And Stuff Mart doesn't sell satisfaction. There's no aisle at Stuff Mart for joy. You cannot find contentment there. And yet, we live in a culture that more and more and more sells joy, sells satisfaction. If you only had this, then you would be happy. And it's all. Satisfaction can only be found in infinite things, in eternal things. Satisfaction and joy can only be found, meaning in life can only be found in Jesus Christ. There's two questions that I want to ask and that I think Solomon asks in the next couple of chapters concerning wealth, concerning the antidote to finding meaning in wealth, to the greed that so often pervades our society. First, why can't wealth deliver a meaningful life? And then second, we will address, well, what do we do instead? How would we replace that greed with in our souls? First question is this, why can't wealth deliver a meaningful life? Hopefully you've left your Bible open. If not, go ahead and grab the Bible again. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He addresses this question in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And he gives us several answers to this question. Why can't wealth deliver a meaningful life? Look at chapter 5 and verse 10. He says, the one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. Why can't wealth deliver a meaningful life? It's because you will never have enough. You will never have enough. John D. Rockefeller was once asked, he is the oil tycoon who was the head of Standard Oil, and he was once asked, how much money is enough? And his response was very telling. How much money is enough, John Rockefeller? One dollar more one dollar more that was the heart that was his heart's desire and that is the problem if you love wealth then it'd be it be its worse than a meth addiction if you love worth you need it if you love wealth you need another fix you need another fix i need more i need a little bit more i need one dollar more and it will never leave your soul alone without limits you will become dissatisfied and that's the kind of culture we live in you know one of the things we found when we moved into our house in louisville we lived in a an older house in louisville built before the 1950s in the modern era they don't fit in those cabinets <laughs> and they've actually done interesting research studies on this before the 1950s cabinets were smaller because the plates were smaller why is, why were they smaller because they ate people ate less <laughs> in that time frame isn't that interesting the average plate size was, much, was smaller in the 1950s and before than it is in the modern times, the modern era. We live in a society that says more, 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 more. More will satisfy. More will give me joy. It can never deliver. Look at verse 11 in chapter 5, verse 11. He says, when good things increase, the ones who consume them Multiply. What then is the profit to the owner except to gaze at them with his own eyes? When you have wealth, guess what? It attracts parasites. It attracts leeches. You'll have fake friends. If your love is of money and that's your meaning in life, it will attract fake friends. That's his point. Solomon is saying there, when you have wealth, it tends to attract people who become your friend, not because they like you, but because they want to cut of the pie because they want a cut of what you got from stuff mart (laughs) there's always an ask coming except from true friends true friends are not for sale and can't be bought and they are with you regardless of your status in life proverbs chapter 19 verse 4 says it's like this wealth makes many quote-unquote friends poverty drives them all away (laughs) oh isn't that true isn't that so? When you live for wealth, you'll have so many so-called friends, but you'll also spend time with some other new friends called the creditors, the bankers, and maybe even the IRS. <laughs> when you live for stuff, it can't deliver. Did you know this interesting statistic? 80% of NFL football players, 80% eventually go broke after their playing days <laughs> isn't that interesting 80 percent eventually go broke after their playing days do you know what nfl stands for and since i know national football league but nfl actually stands for not for long <laughs> the average playing career is about two years in the nfl <laughs> And they have tons of friends. And because of that, there's always asks for some of the cash. This investment, that's investment. You need this. You need that. You need this ring. You need this house. You need this. And then the injury comes and boom, it's all gone. You will attract fake friends. Money buys friends, but when the money is gone, it's gone. Look at verse 12. In verse 12, it says this, The sleep of the worker is sweet. Whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich permits him no sleep. Another answer to the question, why can't your wealth deliver a meaningful life, is because you won't sleep well. You won't sleep Well, When your love is money, when you try to find meaning in wealth, you will keep yourself awake at night to the blue glow of your cell phone, constantly checking the status of your investments, constantly scanning Amazon to see what it is that you need to buy from the modern version of Stuff Mart. And when the latest downturn happens, you will lie awake worrying about it because what you love has been dissipated. What you love has been taken away from you. Here today, gone tomorrow. Money cannot bring happiness, contentment, and peace. And you know what? This is not just true of those who have wealth, this can also be true of those who don't have much, but think that if I just had that, then I will be satisfied in life. Then I'll find joy and meaning in this world. If your love is money, whether you have it or don't, you always want more, it cannot deliver that satisfaction. You won't sleep well. I know this to be true because I look back over my past and I see some of the times and some of the seasons in my own life, some of the times when I've stressed the most and when I have most sleepless nights are when when I'm worried about money. And yet when I look back over those times when I worry about money and how we're going to pay the bills, guess what? Almost, every, in fact, every single time that worry was a waste, because God provides for our needs. God always comes through. Philippians chapter four, verse nineteen says this: "And my God shall supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus." Now, very important to remember that that verse does not say, "And God shall supply all of your greed."s <laughs> It says, God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Trust in the Lord. You won't sleep well if, God, if your God is wealth, if God is money. Look at verse 13. In verse 13, he says, there's a sickening tragedy I've seen under the sun. Wealth kept by his owner, by its owner to his own harm. You will hurt yourself to get it. You'll hurt yourself to get it. There's a reason why our culture still resonates with the Christmas carol, with Ebenezer Scrooge. The reason we resonate with that and heed that warning in our souls, in our lives, is because we know this constant temptation, what happens in our souls and in our hearts, in our relationships, in our families, when we give ourselves over to the love of money. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many pains, with many sorrows. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and can lead you to wandering away. How has that happened? Some people who love money end up compromising their integrity to get a little bit more. Little compromises here, little compromises there eventually become big compromises. A fudged number on your tax return. A reimbursement statement that has been padded a little bit in order to get a little bit more that you think you deserve from the company. All of these things will become big compromises. Starting off small, they snowball as the need for more and more cash to maintain the lifestyle that you have become enslaved to becomes overwhelming it happens to your own harm the love of money does not the love of stuff does not end well notice solomon knows because he's caught the cash and yet he knows the dangers that are inherent here in wealth look at verse 14 he goes on another reason look at verse 14 in chapter 5 he says that wealth was lost in a bad venture so when he fathered a son, he was empty-handed. You will never really be secure. Why should you not love money? Because you'll never really be secure. Security really is an illusion. It really is. We're all just a downturn, a global crisis, or a 1929 stock market crash. We're all just a moment away from going broke, and we don't know what the future holds. There were some last year who were placing all of their future bets on Bitcoin. (laughs) And it has not fared well. (laughs) And so on and so forth. It's a danger to place all of your love and all of your hopes and all of your future in money. You can make a bad deal. You may experience a fire or a natural disaster. There's some even here right in this room that can testify, yes, don't trust in that. It can be gone tomorrow. You can get a new boss who doesn't like you as much. Hackers and con artists are always targeting you. Some of you have experienced that as well and know the pain of of being conned. Several of us experienced that. This verse, in verse 14, it mentions the next generation. Even inherited wealth is insecure. Even inherited wealth is Insecure. Interesting statistic in the United States. Did you know that by the third generation, 90% of inherited wealth is gone? Yeah, I'm going to give a great gift to my grandkids, great gift to my children. By the third generation, 90% of people who inherit wealth spend it all, and it's all gone inherited well if you think it's going to be secure if you think it's going to give security it doesn't trusting in wealth is a mirage just look at solomon's kids and see how that turned out (laughs) didn't turn out too good did it I'm reading that in my own Bible reading right now in the book of Kings and Chronicles, and and I'm noticing that. My goodness, it's just uh, like this king did bad, and this king did bad, and this king did bad. And The whole point of it is I long for the real king. (laughs) And thankfully, the New Testament answers that longing with King Jesus. You'll never really be secure. Look at verse 15 and 16. He goes on. He, he knows what he's talking about. Look at verse 15 and 16. He says, and he came from his mother's womb so that and he came from his mother's womb as he came from his mother's womb, so he will go again. Naked he came. He will take nothing for his efforts that he can carry in his hands. This too is a sickening tragedy. Exactly as he comes, he will go. What does one gain from who struggles, uh, uh, struggles against the wind or for the wind? You won't take it with you you won't take it with you hearses don't have hitches (laughs) dollars and bitcoin are not accepted at the courts of heaven you die and you leave it all behind and you go to eternity where stuff of this world doesn't buy you anything on that side in eternal life Look at verse 17 in chapter 5, verse 17. He says, what is more, he eats in darkness all his days with much frustration, sickness, and anger. Darkness, frustration, anger. You will be miserable. The end in this life is the road of misery. It's the pathway to unhappiness. So oftentimes we realize that... The reality is different than what we front with. Solomon's real life was different than his Instagram page, if he had such a thing. So oftentimes our Instagram lives, our social media lives, are such airbrushed, curated versions of ourselves that are so distinct and different from the real thing, from the way people really live. Is it any wonder, wow, those who are rich and famous, those who everybody longs to be the influences of our culture and our society, oftentimes if they are interviewed and honest in their interviews, they are miserable. They are wanting one more follower, one more like, one more retweet, one more repost, one more person, one more dollar, one more advertiser, and it never can deliver. Is it any wonder that's there is a correlation in our society with increased wealth and also increased suffering and anxiety and depression. If we think that it will deliver, it does not last. It cannot. Wealth cannot deliver on the promise of satisfaction and joy and life. Solomon is very clear, and he is one who has walked this Road. So what do we do instead? How do we live instead? Thankfully he answers that question. Question number two is this What are the antidotes defining meaning in wealth? What do you seek instead? <laughs> Thankfully, the Bible is not about don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. You find that in Scripture, and it's very helpful and very wise. It helps us to avoid making mistakes and giving ourselves to evil. But the Bible isn't just a list of don'ts. It's also a list of righteousness. It's also a person of righteousness setting us the example, Jesus Christ, and we are to follow in his footsteps. We are to follow in his will and his ways. And so what are the antidotes to finding meaning in wealth? How how are we to live instead? Let me give you three of these antidotes of finding to finding meaning in wealth. First of all, invest in meaningful relationships. Invest in meaningful relationships. Back in chapter four and verse 7 through 12 actually look at 9 through 12 verses 7 through 8 he talks about the struggle of being alone not having friends and then verses 9 through 12 he says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts if either falls his companion can lift him up but pity the one who falls and doesn't have another to lift him up also if two lie down together how can they keep they can keep warm but how can one person keep warm alone and if someone overpowers one person two can resist him a cord of three strands is not easily broken two are better than one three stranded cord is not easily broken you often hear this passage that is is quoted at weddings and rightly so because two are better than one when god puts two together that is a blessing and a good gift from god And then what about this three-stranded cord? Oftentimes in wedding ceremonies, it is is mentioned that the third strand in your cord, in fact, the central strand in your three-stranded cord is your relationship with God, your relationship with Jesus Christ. And when Jesus is at the center of your life, that three-stranded cord is not easily broken. Now, it certainly applies to marriage, but it also applies to friendship and life. You are never meant to be alone, by yourself, without any friends. We are called as believers to live in community with each other. That's why we, one of the reasons we serve a God who is a trinity and perfect community with one another, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in perfect fellowship with each other, we created in His image in humanity are called to reflect the image of God, and therefore our need to find community in the family of God. We are created with the need for one another, and God in His wisdom in the New Testament has Called to gather the church as a community of believers where we can find these relationships and these friendships that we can strengthen each other and stand firm with each other in our time and hour of need. You were made for community. You were made for relationships. So if you want to know what to invest your life in, invest your life in relationships. Invest your life in Christian community. Now, one of the most common questions and issues that I hear as a pastor, and this has been true for 15 years, the most common concern that I have of Christians is I struggle to find friends in the church. I struggle to build relationships in the church. So let me give you some pastoral counsel on that. I don't have verses and chapters that I can say, okay, here's where the Bible says how to make friends. <laughs> it doesn't really give that kind of counsel. We have to have wisdom in order to how to, how to seek that out in our lives. So how do you, how do you seek out friends in the church? So let me give you some wisdom there, some counsel. How do you make friends at church? Let me encourage you to pray that God would provide friends. Pray for it. If you haven't been praying for friends, start praying. Jesus, Lord, I need friends. Help me to find some godly friends in my life. Pray for it. That's a good thing. It's a good gift from heaven. And God does not withhold good gifts from us. So pray and ask God, God, I pray that you would provide somebody that, a friend that, that would be true, that would be close. I encourage you to be at church and be at church regularly and often every time the door is open as much as possible in your life be here spend time in life group spend time in meals today we're going to have a picnic it's not too late like well i haven't cooked anything that's okay grandma safeway is open (laughs) go over there and grab some cookies and meet me over there at the park come on out i know some of you had stuff going on today but if you can come on over to the park Spend time in that building relationships. You can't build a friendship with people you're never around. <laughs> and so, spend time in church. Let me encourage you as well, when you come to church right now, we're not really building relationships. That's not the purpose of this kind of meeting, this kind of gathering. We're not building relationships. And we're, you know, we're worshiping the Lord and spending time worshiping the Lord together. But if your habit is right after the service to get out the door and get out the parking lot as quick as you can change that habit hang out a little bit in the foyer go grab an extra cup of coffee or an extra water before you go out the door and spend some time talking to people we see a church is growing in health when scott and i have to wait to go home (laughs) because people are hanging out and talking because friendships are being developed If your habit is, I don't want to talk to anybody, I want to get out of here as quickly as possible, I get that because I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. Right? Hard to believe, but it is true. I married an extrovert that helps me. (laughs) See the value, and it's okay to be around people every now and then. I'm like, okay. (laughs) All right. I'd rather just be in my chair with my book or, you know, that kind of stuff. But but I get it. I know the value of of friendships and, and the importance of investing in that. But I encourage you, spend time, hang out a little bit more between the services, after the service, before the service. Get here a little bit early, spend time talking to people. Go to life group. Be a friend you want others to be. Be a friend you want others to be. Your friendship is a two-way street. Be the kind of friend you want others to be. Don't be the kind of friend that's high maintenance. Be the kind of friend that's other-focused, that's other-centered. How can I be a blessing to the other person? Ask other people good questions about them. Ask them about them. What is your, how is your day? What's going on in your life? Find those people who have similar, uh, similar love, similar interests. Be friendly. Be the kind of person, be the kind of friend you want others to be. Ask people to sit with you at church. You know, we don't have the ropes anymore, right? <laughs> that are on the pews. Praise God, amen? <laughs> we don't have the pool ropes out. You, don't, there's, you can sit anywhere you want to, as close as you want to anybody else. <laughs> but um, invite somebody to sit with you. You see somebody sitting along, well, invite them to sit with you. that not be weird, you know. And stuff, but, but, you know, do that. Say, Build relationships. Take that next step. It's how to build relationships. Invest in meaningful relationships. How else do you answer this question? How else do you find an antidote for finding meaning in wealth? Look at chapter 5, verse 18. Chapter 5, verse 18. Let's read this next section of Scripture. 5, verse 18. He says this, Here's what I've seen to be good. It's appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good in all the labor that one does under the sun during the few days of his life that God has given him. Because that is his reward. Furthermore, everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also allowed him to enjoy them, take his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is a gift of God. He does not often consider the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with the joy of his heart. Here's a tragedy that I observed under the sun. It weighs heavily on humanity. God gives a person riches, wealth, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires for himself. But God does not allow him to enjoy them. Instead, a stranger will enjoy them. This is futile and a sickening tragedy. A man may father a hundred children, live many years, no matter how long he lives, if he is not satisfied by the good things and does not even have a proper burial. I say that a stillborn child is often better off than he. For he comes in futility and he goes in darkness and his name is shrouded in darkness. Though a stillborn child does not see the sun and is not conscious, it has more rest than he. And if a person lives a thousand years twice but does not experience happiness, do not both go to the same place? All a person's labor is for his stomach, yet the appetite is never satisfied. What advantage then does the wise person have or the fool? What advantage is there over a poor person who knows how to conduct himself before others? Better what the eyes see than, the, uh, than wandering desire. This is futile and a pursuit after the wind." summarizing that in a sentence strive for contentment and joy in what god has provided strive for contentment and joy in what god has provided be satisfied in what god has given you he says it is a gift to be satisfied it is a gift to find joy in life then enjoy that gift Enjoy the good gifts that God has given you in this world. Money itself is not evil. It's the love of money that is evil. And what you have alone will not satisfy. Even the satisfaction is a gift. Satisfaction itself is a gift from God. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says it like this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you now it's not a sin to have money it's not a sin to have plans it's not a sin to grow a business it's not a sin to build for the future that's good stewardship it's good and wise stewardship the bible jesus talks about the stewardship and the uh, stewardship in the parable of the talents being a good steward of what god has given you for the sake of his kingdom but the good steward does not place their faith and hope and joy in the accumulation of stuff and wealth, but is seeking to use that for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel in the world. Find yourself a level of, a, a, a level of living where you will be satisfied. Keep it simple. And of the increase, let that be for the blessing of others, for the expansion of the kingdom of God in this world. Let your joy come from generosity. Let your joy come from being a conduit of blessing to other people in your life. Strive for contentment and joy in what God has provided. And then finally, look at verses 10 through 12 in chapter 6. He says, whatever exists was given its name long ago and is known for what mankind is. But he is not able to contend with one who is stronger than he. For when there are many words, they increase futility. What is the advantage for mankind? Who knows what is good for anyone in life in the few days of his futile life that he spends like a shadow? Who can tell anyone what will happen after him under the sun? Who can tell you what will happen after you under the sun? Only Jesus Christ. Only one who has by been beyond the sun who is the son of god come under the sun to deliver us from thinking that we can find joy and meaning and satisfaction anything under the s-u-n only can we find meaning and satisfaction and joy in the s-o-n find satisfaction in jesus christ he is the only source of true meaning in your in this world and in life and in eternity The rich and the poor have the exact same fate, the grave. And then after that is eternity. And on that side, in eternity, they do not accept the currency of this world. The only currency that is accepted for eternal life is if you have received the payment Jesus offered for your eternal life and salvation in his own blood. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Don't believe the healthy, wealthy gospel people that say that it means that it is that you are going to be rich in this world. No, it's talking about true riches, the riches of the kingdom of God, the riches that last forever in that mansion that he is building for you in glory. Trust in those riches. Give yourself to those riches, riches that will last forever. That is is where real meaning is found in life. Relationships, relationships in Christ, satisfaction of what God has given you, contentment, spreading the gospel, and living your life for Jesus. That is how you find meaning in Jesus in the midst of a meaningless world. Friends, let me encourage you that Madame Bluebelly, she was right you cannot find satisfaction at stuff mart let's pray together lord we thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives and lord thank you for your word that your word is so real it just points out common common temptations in our soul that it just exposes our hearts and helps us to understand and see the pitfalls and the dangers in our lives and Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize the areas in our lives where we have treasures that have been elevated above Jesus, that we've elevated above Christ and your kingdom in our lives. Lord, areas in our souls we are dissatisfied with your provision in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to find our satisfaction and joy in Jesus. Lord, I pray for those who don't yet know you as Savior and Lord, that today would be the day of salvation, Today they would trust in you as the greatest treasure that could ever be found, that has ever been given, the greatest gift that's ever been given. And Lord, I pray for those who are already believers in Christ. Lord, help us to examine our souls, to know what it is that we are giving our lives and joy to. Help us to root out any substitutes, any lies of the enemy of the devil, and help us to find our joy in Jesus. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray.